Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you lovelies. What do you get when an imaginary animal guardian loses their ward? What does a spirit whose entire existence depends on the thought and learnings of their host? Well, you get the tale of Tuku the Crocodile, written by a lovely listener, Fee Stringer, who has sent in stories before, and they're always a joy to read. I'll be reading chapters 1 through to 3 today, and next week I'll be working my way through it. If you have your own stories, send them my way, mates. An email with your tale to storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. I absolutely love hearing from listeners and their tales. Now, turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's hear something original. I stood there, my crocodile tears no longer living up to the metaphor they were meant to be. My tears were real. Emilio was lying there on the sidewalk, and his blood was pooling underneath him. The blood in the sodium streetlight looked black and unreal. A few people had started to gather around now. Mobile phones on every other person's ear calling 911. They all knew it was too late for Emilio. And so did I. The car had not struck him when the drunken student jumped the sidewalk, but the car did strike the empty newspaper machine, which then flew into Emilio, casting him backwards into the store window of the sporting goods shop, shattering it. Emilio's body had landed on a display of hiking equipment that apparently had steel shelves and services that were very sharp when broken. Despite being impaled on a part of the shelf, Emilio had managed to crawl out of the window before collapsing on the pavement, which is where he lay now. And he was dying. My sorrow at the loss of my best and only friend had blocked out any and all other emotions from me. I was powerless to do anything to save him, just like everyone else that had gathered around him. I had known Emilio ever since I could remember, and now he was fading. Taking a few steps back, unable to look upon this horror before me so close. Several people passed by me without seeing me, and this fact made me look down at my own clawed hands. Without Emilio, there would no longer be me. There would no longer be Tuku. I was wondering if it would hurt when I ceased to be, or if it would be like going to sleep, or maybe I would blink and just no longer be. My hands remained solid as ever, although they were still shaking with grief. I sniffed and looked back to my friend. Another one of Emilio's fellow students crouched by him and was checking his pulse and breathing. I knew there was no hope, but I still watched. He shook his head and had a somber expression. He's... he is gone, she said. Some tears in her eyes as well. The driver of the car had a much smaller crowd around him as he staggered out, rubbing his forehead. His eyes surveying the scene, first in annoyance, followed by terrible realization. 
I was too sad to hate him right now, and now my tears in my eyes had grown into full-blown sobbing, but no one could hear me, and I was sure at this moment nobody would ever again. Emilio had very much stopped talking to me as his teen years progressed, his free thoughts usually falling onto schoolwork, video games, and most of all, girls. Despite this, he would still speak to me every now and then, sometimes right before drifting off to sleep. Sometimes when he was stressed with school or heartbroken by one of the girls in his life, I was always there for him, exactly where he needed me. I was ready to hug him with my stubby arms, and growl at his homework when it was frustrating. I even offered to eat up Amanda Dooland when he was 14 after a two-week spout of middle school dating that had ended when he had seen her holding hands with Graham, the baseball star from last summer. I can gobble her up if it'll make you less sad, amigo. I had said, my hand on his shoulder. She would be in my belly in two seconds. Emilio at least smiled for a moment at this image and hugged me as my seven-foot form towered over him. That's okay, Tuku. She probably tastes nasty anyways, but thanks. I had a few tears in my eyes for my friend then too that day. The Xbox took his mind off his love life and me very quickly. I sat on the couch next to him and he controlled an elvish warrior, running through caverns and wielding a battle axe. I was just as entertained as he was, even if he forgot I was sitting next to him. I was sad and confused. The paramedics carried his body away on a stretcher. I joined the corpse of my friend in the vehicle and just watched the black bag reflecting the street lamps from outside as we rolled by on the way to the morgue. Two nights of this in a row, one of the drivers said. This is too much. I am going to go home and blaze up, maybe make some nachos then pass out. The woman in the passenger seat sighed and shook her head. You really aren't. They are going to be doing a lot of testing coming up and that crap will be in your system, so dream on. She smirked for a moment. Well, the nachos and the passing out sounds good. She turned and looked at the bag. So goddamn sad. I really had not minded when he stopped talking and playing with me as much as he grew. I was happy just to watch, to follow him, and be comfortable in the knowledge that he knew I would be there whenever he needed. When he was in high school and college, bicycles, skateboards, and even the occasional unicycle would run over my tail as I followed him down the streets. The riders would barely know at all that they had come into contact with me. And this was part of my condition as Emilio's friend. Was that despite being an enormous bipedal swamp reptile, people just went about their days, even if they looked or even touched me. Most of them just thought it was the wind or just something out of the corner of their eye. I suppose if they could have seen me, Emilio's life would have been a lot harder. He tried to introduce me to his aunt once, but he was seven. This is Tuco. He's my crocodile and best friend, he had said as he held my hand. For a brief moment, I thought she might actually be looking at me. When I offered to shake hers, her arm had extended but only managed to reach out to my knee. How do you do, Cuckoo? She had said politely, pretending to shake my hand. 
Emilio and I had shared a knowing smile with each other when that had happened. He could not stop giggling about it later that afternoon, when we were playing our third game of Battleship in a row. I followed the people as they took his body into the morgue. I wondered who might arrive to claim him, to make arrangements. Emilio's mother was not in the picture for the last few years, for she had moved to Europe with a man who curated art in some museum and never looked back. And this left Emilio's father in Delaware. He would have to find some way to fly here in the next day or so. This would take quite some time. This left me to sit in the silent room with my feelings and thoughts. I could see my green bulk reflecting on all the chrome surfaces, and it brought back the impossibility of me being at all. Emilio was dead. So how and why was I still here? I had never been able to touch anything really, with the occasional exceptions here and there that were usually so small and insignificant to warrant being noticed. I walked over to one of the walls, to the large sink and a box of tissues. One of the tissues stuck out of the top of the box. When I touched the tissue, it reacted to me like it normally would have. As if a gentle wind had barely stirred it, I reached down and tried to pick one up with no effect. It appeared that the laws of my existence as Emilio's friend still applied. I thought this for a moment only, though. I turned around away from the sink and my large tail swept by one of the shelves, knocking over an open box of blue rubber gloves. What the hell? To say that I was startled would have been an understatement. I stood there in the cold, dark room, looking at the box as if it had tried to bite me. I turned around to make sure my tail was still, before taking a breath to calm down. <sighs> I was confused and sad, and it was starting to well up in me again, when something even stranger distracted me. It was a whisper of a whisper, like a voice on the radio from a thousand miles away, but I understood it. It repeated this several times, before the vent in the building once again drowned it out. Chapter 2 One of the few times I had questioned my existence as strictly imaginary had been when Emilio was five years old, and we were staying at his great-uncle's house. The house sat near the banks of the Black Fox River, and had a small dock that extended about 30 feet into the water. He had been walking towards the end of the dock and talking to me as if I swam in the water beside him. I think they were discussing something to the effect of the logic of Cobra from G.I. Joe by making their secret bases in mountainsides that were usually carved into the shape of some massive snakehead that could be seen for miles around, making it easy for G.I. Joe or someone else, or anyone else in the area, to locate them very easily. The sun got into his eyes at a very inopportune moment, and he took a step off the dock into the river. The Black Fox River is usually a calm and lazy thing, but it had stormed the night before, and the current was higher and more unpredictable than usual that day. Amelia immediately grabbed and began hugging one of the posts that the dock was built upon, and he began desperately calling his father for help with screams of fear that I am sure could have been heard almost anywhere in the world. The river was hungry that day, 
and the current started to try and swallow Emilio down into the dark brown waters. I swam under the dock, feeling helpless. His father was not going to get him from the porch of the house to the dock fast enough to save him. I swam underneath him though, and his frantically kicking feet touched my back. Not thinking about it too much, I slowly rose from the water. Emilio standing on me, his screams abating with surprise. He was no longer in danger when his father plucked him from the side of the dock off of my back. So happy that his son was not swept away that even if I had been visible, he would not have seen me. Emilio's father hugged him close and comforted me. Him, carrying him to the house to get dry. I emerged from the river and followed, none of the family noticing me at all. I too was so relieved that the significance of my intervention has suddenly escaped me until now. I stood in the hall outside the gloomy room where my dead friend lay. The buzzing of the fluorescent lights offered no comfort or companionship as I continued to think back into the past. My purpose for existing was now a memory. I was looking at that clock and it was 2am. I never slept, but instead I usually had a place watching Emilio sleep, quite often joining him in his dreams softening his nightmares and sharing his pleasant ones. I remember a time when he dreamt of sitting by a stream. He was singing to himself a song about his doll, and the ducks in the streams were moving to the song. He wore a yellow dress and... My thought was wrong. This was not Emilio I was remembering, but a little girl dreaming. I knew her name was Courtney, and that she was eight years old. I knew that she lived with her mother and sister in a flat in Yorkshire. My hand in the dream were not hands, but hooves. I had fur that was purple and pink. I was not Tuco, the crocodile. I was Frulu, the unicorn. I wandered away from the morgue in my strange thoughts. The morgue was in the basement of the hospital, and I had made my way upstairs. It was late. The upstairs floors had more activity. A hospital at night is only slightly less busy than a hospital by day. I heard a little boy crying down the hall and my normal empathy and curiosity drew me to the sound. I found the source in one of the rooms. I ducked below the doorframe and beheld a family standing around a bed. In the bed lay an elderly woman. Several tubes and machines were hooked up to a frail form, keeping her just on the side of the line between being alive and dead. It was apparent that the woman did not have much longer to live, and this was to be the goodbye session while she was still conscious enough to understand. I had a moment as I stood there when I was sure that the old woman for a moment saw me, and then perhaps dismissed me as a hallucination of some kind. The moment once again brought into question my status of something from Emilio's imagination. Say goodbye to Grandma Paul. The mother in the room spoke somberly and directly to the boy. Paul did not move, however, and instead stood there, a look of fear and guilt on his face. I could tell from my experience that seeing his grandmother in that state scared him. He wanted to come forward and say goodbye, but the will to do so had escaped him. Paul, please, the mother said, 
some agitation in her voice. This was a private moment for this family, and I knew that my being here was not right. The decent thing would be to leave, even if they could not see me, and let this moment play out without my green eyes watching. I turned to exit, but something caught my eye. It was a shadow that did not belong. It was in a vaguely human form, and I could see that by the way it faced that it was not as I had initially thought. It was some spectre of death looking at the dying woman. As I looked at the form, however, it became more clear that it was looking at the boy, Paul. The thing shimmered in an otherworldly manner for a moment, and I could see that its focus had changed. Now, it was looking directly at me. There was something about this being that felt disturbingly familiar. I cannot remember feeling fear for myself before. I could only remember feeling fear on behalf of Emilio, and perhaps whoever caught me was as well. This was different for me. Even though I was an enormous reptile with sharp claws and teeth, whatever this thing was that I felt some kind of kinship with also filled me with dread. My own dread. I backed away, my head bumping the top of the doorway. It had moved but not towards me, towards Paul. Although it still looked towards me, its arm outreached and its hand touched the child's neck. Paul did not notice. His mother still trying to coax him close to the bedside of his grandmother. I decided that this situation was simply too much for me. I did not know where I was going, but I knew I wanted to leave here. I walked quickly out into the hallway, my tail once again knocking over an object. This time a box of tissue paper that sat on a shelf near the door of the hospital room. I did not stay long enough to see if any of the family members had noticed. I had taken a few quick paces down the hallway when I heard the familiar phrase from behind that I had experienced in the morgue. This time, though, the voice was no whisper. Time to go. Time to go. Time to go. The voice was raspy and cracked. There was a liquid quality to the words, a sickness. There was also a terrible coughing following the words that made me turn around to see what was happening. <coughs> My large jaws opened in surprise as I saw the woman who had been bedridden a moment ago standing in the hallway looking directly into my eyes. It was Paul's grandmother, and yet it was not. It was a version of her that had been augmented with all of what Paul had feared about her. Her eyes were more bloodshot, tears running down her cheeks, tears of salt water, and of some other greenish-yellow substance that seemed diseased and foul. Tubes still ran in and out of almost every visible orifice, pumping unknown liquids and terrible medicines into her nostrils, ears, and mouth. Other tubes and wires ran under her hospital gown to unknown places of her body. The other end of the tubes and wires just seemed to vanish into empty space, attached to nothing but the empty air in the hallway. The thing looked at me and grinned a mouth full of rotted teeth and drool dripping from its lips. It spoke again in the sick rasp, repeating the same phrase as before, but this time, with more volume and an added word. Time to go. 
I can be quite quick when I want to be. And right now, that is precisely what I wanted to be. Walking upright on my hind legs was my usual mode of strolling about, but Emilio had also seen some nature shows that had shown real crocodiles in the wild and incorporated them into his imaginings of me. I dropped to my belly and using all four of my limbs, began to slide down the hallway on my sleek reptilian belly at a speed that would have frightened anyone who could see me. I moved like a snake around the various stretches and people in the hallway. The air current I was making still managing to create movement in the cloth and tissue paper. I could not be sure. I think a young boy on crutches with a cart on his leg looked right at me with surprise. But he was in such awe of the situation that fear had not occurred to him. I kept moving until I reached the end of the hallway with passages to the right and the left. While trying to decide on the best course of action, I braved a glance behind me. The thing that looked like Paul's grandmother moved faster than it appeared it could, but not nearly as fast as I could. I could see, in its hideous expression, that it realized it would fall behind. This gave me a moment of relief, until it did something unexpected. The creature had reached the boy on the crutches, who still looked open-mouthed at me and apparently could not see the creature at all. It looked at me, then down at the boy, reaching its liver-spotted hand and touched the boy's forehead. A shriek of fear erupted from the boy's mouth as Paul's nightmare grandmother quickly morphed into something else. The boy on the crutches could now see what the creature had become, and he froze in panic. It was now a creature that resembled something of an amalgamation of a large rabbit dog, a giant sewer rat, all combined with some sort of traits of a black carrion beetle of some sort. It snarled and looked down at its new form. The old too recognizable grin came into its face, and I could tell that the grin it made had been the same as the grandmother creature had made minutes before. It dawned on me at that moment exactly what it had accomplished. It had reached into the boy on Crutch's mind and pulled out a new, faster, more functional nightmare to chase me with. The boy's howl was drowned out by the howl of the creature in a reinvigorated bellow of its hunt. I continued to move and dash around corners, trying to follow the red exit signs to a point of escape. Although I did not pause to look behind me, I could tell by the combined noises of panting, snarling, and the clicking footfalls of both instant and mammal paws that it was catching up with me. I barreled through large double doors to the parking lot just outside the ER. The crash of my large body and the movement of the doors suddenly flying open startled several patients, a nurse and a parking attendant all at once. One of the ambulances was pulling out of the drive that connected to the main roads, and I once again dashed for it, hoping to catch it before it got up to speed. I clambered up quickly on the back of the vehicle, making my way onto the roof. The weight of my body made the vehicle wobble for a moment before I secured myself on top. Another banging noise came from where I had emerged as the wolf, rat, beetle monster slammed open the doors, scaring the same, startled people as before, now that the mysterious event had happened twice within seconds. He looked at me again, and seeing my improved mode of transportation made it even more angry. It attempted to run and catch up with me on my ride, but the vehicle had already begun turning into the traffic of the main road at a higher speed. I saw the beast getting smaller and smaller behind me, its frightening visage 
unable to keep up with the speed I was now moving at. I sighed in a temporary relief as my medical taxi made its way into the night twinkling lights of the town after dark. Well listeners, what do you think of this tale? I think it's creative, original, and a lot of fun. Listener stories always have this spark to them that I enjoy reading, and more often than not don't abide by usual rules and tropes, venturing into almost any territory. I really enjoy the action scenes here, and the throwing of the audience into the deep end quickly. Now what do you think is the creature that's chasing Emilio's imaginary friend? I can't even begin to wonder, right? Do all imaginary entities end up being devoured by nightmarish beings or spirits of darkness? And is this a struggle that other spirit guardians, which is only what I'm assuming they are at this point, have to deal with? Mates, what are your thoughts here? Lend me your ears, because I know as much as you do. You see, I don't read the whole story through when it comes to these tales. I enjoy experiencing them with you. So your thoughts and guesses are as good as mine, mates. Now, I want to thank the legends that support this podcast. All of you are amazing, and all of you contribute to the success of this podcast every single episode. And for you lovelies, I want to call you out individually. First up, my legendary Ode Night Tea Titan, Maya, who supports this show at a level that has my jaw dragging on the ground every time I upload. Thank you so much for your constant support and love for this show. Your kindness is always on my mind. Thank you so, so much. And my three epic white tea warlords, Ion Cows, Lee Bauer, and R. Mello. The gems that support this podcast to be freer than ever before, giving the podcast opportunities to expand and remain ad-free. Even though I'd never run ads, supporters like you guys and gals ensure that I never even have to think about that. So thank you so much. And of course, my Grain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Paige Marcini, Peter Effeli, Tasha Moncrief, Christina Boyd, Divided by Zero, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, and Tea Time Drinker One. Thank all of you for your kindness every single month. If you want to be a legend like these lovelies, visit my Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. And know that whenever you donate, it goes right back into this podcast to bring you better quality content, supporting authors directly and supporting artists. All thanks to you. Cheers mates for listening, and this Friday I'll be delving into Fatoshi Matsunaga's case, so stick with me then. And as always folks, till next we meet.